Well, friends, it is my joy this morning to begin together our Summer Lights journey. Every year in the month of August, we bring communicators and preachers and ministry leaders from all over the country and sometimes around the world to share with us what God is doing in their setting and in their context. It's a great opportunity to learn more about the bigness of God and the ministry that God does all over the world. And our communicator this morning is a wonderful woman, the Reverend Jane Falcon. Jane comes to us uh, from a terrible place, Boulder Colorado. She lives in the mountains and it's gorgeous. Uh, she was born and raised in Berkeley, California. So, you know, she just, you know, has been in some terrible places, right? <laughs> so ugly on the beach in California. But we are welcoming her to the Midwest today, which is fantastic. Jane serves um, and has served for 14 years as the pastor for discipleship and community at First Presbyterian Church in Boulder. She has three children. She loves to bake cakes when mm -hmm. she's not doing ministry. I first met uh, Jane when we were in a leadership and coaching um, seminar together, and uh, Jane captured the room. She has a winsome spirit about her. She has the gift of discernment, and in that experience, she was one of those people that the whole room turned to, and you could just feel the presence of God in her. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, we have got to come have her preach here at Christ Church. She knows some of our people. We've had students from our ministry go to the University of Colorado at Boulder throughout the years. And many of them, when they go to Boulder, they worship at Jane's church. And so there are a lot of family connections here mm -hmm. with Jane. And she's going to share with us a bit this morning about part of the hospitality journey that they've been on at First Pres Boulder and some of the learnings they've had um, that we can experience as well. So let's give a warm welcome to Jane Filkin this morning. Thank you. Thank you. I am so glad to be with you and those of you online and at the video venue. And I do, I bring you greetings from First Press Boulder where we have been so encouraged and inspired by summer lights and this expression of your church to celebrate life together in the body of Christ. And I think most of you already know it, but I just want to say as a newcomer to your fellowship, that you really have a remarkable church family here. It's so clear to see that God is at work here, and I sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. What a gift to be with you, and I just want to thank you. I have felt so warmly welcomed by so many of you, your congregation and your staff, and it is just a gift to be with you this morning. Well, as Tracy said, my hope is to share with you some of what God has been teaching us in Boulder and teaching me personally, and I hope that it will challenge and encourage your faith personally, but also your life together as a church. And I also want to say, if you are here and you are exploring faith and you are asking questions about Jesus, I'm especially glad that you're here, and I trust and pray and hope that God has something special for you this morning. But essentially what we have been learning is how important hospitality is to God and to God's mission in the world. Genesis to Revelation and everywhere in between, probably most significantly in Jesus' ministry in the Gospels, we see hospitality all over Scripture. And we started exploring hospitality because not only is Jesus so often eating and drinking and at parties with people, but because we noticed that while many people might not be willing to come to church, they are almost always 
willing and excited to be invited into a home to share a meal. And even though we have so much access to one another and one another's information, we are a lonely culture. So as a church, we wanted to recover hospitality as a way of connecting with other people and sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the most helpful definitions of hospitality that we found is simply this, the process of a stranger becoming a guest and maybe even a friend. So as we've sought to really relearn what hospitality is as God intends it, we have had it both stretched and enhanced and expanded and deepened. So I really come as a learner to share with you what God has been teaching us. And the parable about hospitality that we're going to look at in the Gospel of Luke today takes place at a wedding. And it is summer, it's wedding season. How many of you know somebody who's getting married this summer or has a wedding? Many of you have probably been to weddings. My husband Scott and I recently attended a wedding. We often get to officiate together, but this we were just guests at a wedding. It was lovely. And I know I'm not the only one who does this, but I kind of nonchalantly passed by that board that has all the table seating assignments to see who we were going to spend the next four or five hours around a table with at this wedding. And I noticed right away that at our table for eight, every single person was either a pastor or married to a pastor. So I'll let you decide if that sounds like a good table to be seated at or not for an entire night. And at that point, I hadn't noticed which table number we were sitting at, but when we walked into this rustic, chic mountain barn, I realized that we were seated very close to the head table at table number four. And I actually said out loud, wow, we are seated so close to the bride and groom. And it felt like an honor to be seated there. And I felt happy about that, which is fine. But then I read today's passage and had some of my pride checked by that. There's a relatively new movie that's actually based on all the dynamics of wedding reception seating. It's called Table 19, which, as you might guess, refers to the table that's at the back, not uh, close to the hosts and to the bride and groom. And it's filled, this Table 19 is filled with a really random group of strangers. And I actually want to show you a brief clip from the trailer because it gets to some of the things that we are going to be looking at in Luke's gospel. So let's take a quick look at table 19. It's the same wedding. It's the same celebration no matter what table you're at. You okay? You got something brewing up here. This is where I'm sitting, so if you end up in the high teens, you know where to find me. How well do you know the bride and groom, Mr. Kev? I can smell the toilets from here. That's how well we know the bride and groom. Don't listen to him. He's not a romantic. This is a great table. It's a great one. <laughs> no, it isn't. Yes. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Well, we'll see. OK. Hello. Sorry. I'm, uh, Oh, someone's sitting in that. Sorry. 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 Is this one OK? Yeah, no one's. <laughs> My name is Walter. I can tell by your accent. You must be a relation to the bride's father. A close relation? Right here. Do you know what Francie's mother calls table 19? The table that should have known to send regrets, but not before sending something nice off the registry. What? The table that could disappear in the middle of the wedding and no one would even notice. The table of people they don't care about?
are Romeo and Juliet, and we all wish you the same happy ending. It's a very fun and surprising movie. They actually deal with some pretty heavy stuff for a romantic comedy. But this also, even that 90 seconds touches on some of what Jesus has to say about strangers and guests and hospitality and social structures, the table four and the table 19 dynamics. So let's pray together and we will dive into our text this morning. Oh God, we pray that you would be our teacher this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would tune our ears to your truth for your glory in the world and in our lives. Jesus, we pray these things for your sake and in your name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Luke 14. We are picking up at verse 7. And here we are finding Jesus at a prominent Pharisee's home with a whole group of Pharisees. And this gathering is not a wedding banquet, nor a cozy dinner party. This is actually a mealtime that's very filled with tension. We learned earlier in the passage that this, this group of religious leaders is trying to trap Jesus. They've already tried to indict him on the topic of healing on the Sabbath. So the air is thick with tension. And we're picking up as the Pharisees and Jesus are actually sitting down to the table and Jesus sees an opportunity to talk about hospitality as God intends it. So we're in Luke 14, verse 7. When Jesus noticed how the guests, these people he was with, picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is God's word to us. Thank you, Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if this parable feels to you like it does to me a bit of a disruptive, meddling word, it means that you are hearing it correctly. Jesus is actually intentionally seeking to disrupt the ideas and the practices of hospitality of the Pharisees and, to be fair, their wider culture. And I think that he intends to do that for us too, to show us what hospitality in the kingdom of God looks like. And sometimes I think when we hear a word like this from Jesus, we can feel uh, guilty or defensive, but I want to invite you to sit with this really holy disruption and even lean in toward it and listen for a word really of abundant life that I think God has for us this morning. One of the things that's so important about hospitality is knowing your address. And if you are in Christ, I want to say you have two addresses 
You are first a citizen of God's kingdom. Your number one address is that you are in Christ. You abide, you dwell, you live in Christ. But you are also a citizen of Oak Brook or LaGrange or Elmhurst. Both are true. You are in Christ and you are here where God has called you to be as well. And it's interesting when the values of God's kingdom and the values of our culture are different, how do we faithfully live between those two addresses and be faithful to the things that God has called us to do? Jesus is really speaking into that place specifically about hospitality. And there are two sections of this parable, as you heard. Jesus has a word for us both as guests and as hosts. And I love that first, I think so many of us, when we hear a word of hospitality, we assume ourselves in the role of host. But Jesus says, first, I want you to think about what kind of guest you are when somebody else offers you hospitality. Because an important part of hospitality is knowing ourselves as guest and even as someone who is a stranger. And in Middle Eastern culture and biblical time, the social hierarchy and your place in that hierarchy determined how you experienced all of life. There were certain rights and privileges and opportunities and relationships that either were or were not available to you based on where you were in the social ladder. And weddings and social gatherings were a primary place to reinforce your place in that status, to help you really clinch your position and hopefully move up. If you could strategically sit next to the right people at a higher level than you, or if you could sit at table three or two as close to the host as possible, over time, maybe you might be able to improve your status and your life. So sadly, weddings, instead of being a way for people, perhaps strangers, to become friends, to celebrate this amazing thing happening in somebody's life, were a self-exalting way to publicize and to promote yourself and also to hold others back to make sure that they did not get ahead of you. And it sounds really crass in many ways, but also not that unfamiliar. In some ways, like my table for pride taken even farther. And this kind of social climbing and holding others back, we know happens not just at weddings, but in all fears of life. And into that, Jesus says, stop, quit it. My kingdom does not operate like that. Citizens of my kingdom, therefore, should not operate like that. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And what we gather from this passage, but also other places in Scripture, is as if Jesus wants us to hear, if you knew my deep love for you, And my deep love for the people sitting all around you, it wouldn't matter to you if you were seated at table four or table 19. In my kingdom, your value is not based on where you place on the social ladder or what seat you sit in. So stop climbing. Stop exalting yourself. Rest in being seen and known and loved. My family just moved at the beginning of the summer after 14 years in one spot. And we just moved to the next town closer to our church, just about 10 miles from where we were. But it means uh, our three kids are about to start at brand new schools in less than two weeks, in second, fourth, and sixth grade. 
So we've been practicing the new bike route to school and trying to get our space organized before we start. And every once in a while throughout the summer, we have talked about what it's going to be like to be a new kid, to be a stranger in a new school. And one of the things that we've talked about is something that somebody taught me along the way that's been so helpful. And I just call it, here I am, there you are. And this person said to me, there are two types of people in the world. Those who walk into a room and say, here I am, and those who walk into a room and say, there you are. And it reflects so much of what Jesus is saying here for guests. Most people, when we walk into a room, we sometimes don't even know this. A wedding reception, a new middle school, our first thought is, here I am. Am I overdressed? Who's looking at me? Where am I going to sit? What are people thinking of me? Here I am, people. But imagine what it would be like to walk into a new middle school or a wedding reception or your workplace or to worship and to be a there-you-are person. What if you thought, Lord, who would you like me to see this morning? Is there anyone here who might become not a stranger but a friend? Is there somebody here who needs a word of encouragement? I don't want to just be thinking, here I am. I want to be somebody who can walk in and say, there you are, Lord, lead me, and I will go to the people that you would have me see. That's what Jesus is talking about. Even when we are the guest of somebody else's hospitality, even when we are the new student, even when you are the low man on your company totem pole, we can be there you are people and contribute to people being lifted up, moving from being a stranger to being a friend. And if Jesus, the most influential, brilliant person in history, the great I am, was not a here-I-am guest, but a there-you-are guest. We can be like him in that. He saw Zacchaeus and he said, Zacchaeus, there you are. I am going to be a guest at your house today, even when everyone else wanted him to remain a stranger. Jesus honored the presence of the woman who came to anoint him with fragrant perfume in the middle of a dinner party. And rather than worry about his own reputation, he received her expression of relationship and lifted her up. Jesus, the God of the universe, the King of kings, received hospitality from people with humility, even from others who threatened his reputation. So if we are citizens of God's kingdom, that means that we too can do the same. It'd be an interesting thing to think about getting invited to parties that made people's eyebrows kind of raise and to be a person who would celebrate and connect with people. Well, let's look at the second part of this parable. This is a host, Jesus says this, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Well, let me just say, this is a parable. Jesus is certainly not saying, don't ever invite your friends and family to dinner again. That's how I was worried that it might, uh, that it might be saying. But he is saying, do not only invite your friends and family. 
Do not only invite those of the same or higher social strata than you. Do not only invite those people who can return the invitation or repay you in some way. To be people who live with values of our first address. People who live with kingdom values means to be that we offer hospitality to those who cannot repay it. Exchanging things for uh, mutual or reciprocal benefit was central to this culture. So Jesus is speaking into this. Even what we know, the political stability of Rome required this ethic of reciprocity. There was a gift and obligation system that tied every person, even the emperor of Rome, into its intricate web of social relationships and repayment. So gifts, invitations, even acts of kindness were never given freely, but always with strings attached. And these expectations of reciprocity extended to weddings and to meals and even to a family's livelihood and safety. So it's into that that Jesus is speaking. And I love this explanation from Christine Pohl. This is one of my favorite books on hospitality. And she clarifies things for me when she says this. Hospitality, because it was such a fundamental human practice, always included family and friends and influential contacts. The distinctive Christian contribution was the emphasis on including the poor and neediest, the ones who couldn't return the favor. The focus did not diminish the value of hospitality to family and friends. Rather, it broadened the practice so that the close relationships formed by table fellowship and conversation could be extended to the most vulnerable. Who are the most vulnerable around you? Who offers you no bump in social status? No quality of life increase? No insurance of getting a better seat at the next wedding or a new job contact or an in with the higher ups? Who might God have for you to broaden your fellowship and to make it hospitality too? matters so much to God that you will receive a reward in heaven, in eternal life. My dear friend Jess lives in the Atlanta area, and she lives in the, everyone around her um, and her family lives really close, her whole uh, in-law family, so her husband's whole family. And every Tuesday, she hosts family dinner for her husband's parents, her husband's brother, her husband's sister, her own husband, and four kids. She has this meal. It's just a fixed reality in their life. Last summer at church, she had crossed paths a couple times with a young grad student in her 20s who had just moved to the area and just sensed this stirring from the Lord that she was supposed to invite this young woman to family dinner. Well, they'd never done that before. It's just always family dinner, Tuesday night. So she felt a little strange uh, about the idea of inviting her into all that family dinners are and all that they aren't. It's three generations of people, age four to 74. They're all related to one another. They eat really simple, kid-friendly food, and they play a silly after-dinner game that everybody can play. And she thought, probably not something a 25-year-old would want to do. But the next Sunday, she really sense God stirring her, and so she just said, you know, we do this thing, family dinners, Tuesday night. If you ever want to come, you should come. She said, I'll be there on Tuesday. And as you might imagine, as she showed up, 
and took a seat at the family table, she was included with this group of 10 family members, and they ate spaghetti and meatballs, they played apples to apples, and as she was leaving, Jess said to her, you know, we do this every week, same time, same place. You are always welcome. So the next Tuesday, she returned, and this young woman has become a regular part of family dinners. Not just eating the meal at the table, but being included in the lives of these 10 people while they do dishes together and talk about their days and hear one another's stories. She was poor, in a sense. She was a stranger without a place to call home or family to be with. Jess simply broadened her habit of fellowship to include one more person, and she's gone from being a stranger to a guest to a friend, a regular at this family meal. I love this quote. Those who have experienced God's divine welcome will seek to share God's hospitality with others. And this is perhaps the most important thing that we have learned about hospitality. All of us at one time were strangers, not only to one another, but to God. I was blind and poor and crippled and lame, at least spiritually, but in many other ways as well. And so were you. But God invited me and invites all of us to be his guests. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he calls us his friends. He calls us royal citizens of his kingdom and his family. God has shown you hospitality. And when we understand and experience and receive God's hospitality to us, it becomes our privilege and our call to share with others what has been done for us in Jesus Christ, to be both a guest and a host of hospitality at the same time. You know, in Boulder, we found that we needed to practice this with one another first. In a large church, there are actually lots of strangers, even though you're part of the same family. So we challenged everyone in our church to do two things this year. First was to share a meal with people who are strangers in our own church family, to either be a guest or a host, but to gather up with a group of people and put on a pot of soup or have a potluck or a barbecue. The food isn't the point, but being in one another's homes, seated at one another's tables, moving from being strangers in a church family to being friends in a church family. That is what matters to God. And then we also asked everyone, every household in our church, to host one meal with people who are strangers to God. Maybe neighbors or colleagues or somebody that you golf with or somebody from your friend's school. People you'd like to get to know more. And it doesn't have to be a big to-do. Order pizza. And these things sound so simple, but perhaps you can imagine what would happen in your church family if everyone at Christ Church shared a meal with somebody who is currently a stranger to them, someone you didn't yet know. And maybe you can imagine what would happen in your community if every household in your church hosted a meal with people who don't know God. And not with a planned spiritual conversation, just a no-strings-attached 
There you are. I want to know you. What might God do with that? Well, I got an email last night here as I was going to bed from a couple in their 80s at our church. I love these people. And they were just writing uh, to me last night to share about the dinner they had just had last night with a couple on their street, a couple somewhat younger than them, which could be any age, I'm not sure. Uh, But they're people who they really enjoy and see often. But what she said is they're people who more often pass and wave than stop and talk. They're people who have a Buddha statue in their yard. And as they sat down, the husband of this couple asked if uh, it would be okay if he offered a blessing. So they held hands, the four of them, and he gave thanks to God for these people, their neighbors, and uh, for the meal. And they sat down. And over dinner, these guests shared how they had at one time uh, considered themselves people of faith, but they no longer do. They'd been hurt by something at a church and had lots of other significant conversation as well. And as these guests were leaving dinner, they said, this was the most relaxed and pleasant evening we can remember in a very long time. Hospitality, when it is shared with people right around us, it puts the gospel, the good news, the love and the welcome of Jesus Christ on display in really warm and surprising ways. And I think that God intends actually to change the world, to change our life through this kind of connection with other people and putting his love on display. And so I hope that your church and our church in Boulder will grow with people who would now consider themselves strangers to God, but who would come to know themselves as deeply loved children, people who have been invited to God's family and find a seat at his table. What an amazing thing that God would use us to be part of that. Let me pray for you. God, you are so good and so kind. Even your words that challenge us are words of grace and hope. So God, I thank you for this dear church family who I really feel like are my extended church family. And I pray your richest blessings on them. And I pray that they would be so deeply settled in Christ, so deeply settled in your love for them that they would boldly extend your love to others wherever you have placed them. Jesus, we ask this in your name and for your sake. Amen.